And I was thinking back uh, the other day to the first visit with a U.S. Uh, cabinet secretary uh, that was hosted in Canada after the last election. Um, and the deputy prime minister had chosen Canada 2020 to host that conversation between Janet Yellen and herself. Uh, it was a packed house, one of the first chances we got to do that after the pandemic. And they began to lay out an economic vision for where we went from that moment. And we're really excited to continue that conversation today. So closing our day with ideas on renewing middle class prosperity, I'm thrilled to welcome Canada's Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Christian Freelich. Okay, well, thank you very much for that introduction. Thank you, everyone, for hanging in there and being here for the last session. So I really appreciate it. And I just have to say how nice it is to be here. There are so many people in this room who I admire so much and from whom I have learned so, so much um, today and over the years. And it's really um, energizing and inspiring for me to be with a group of people who really share the same values and are working for the same things and to kind of talk about how best to do it. So thanks everyone for being here. Bienvenue au Canada. Ça me fait plaisir de vous voir. I'm going to talk now about how our government sees the economic challenge facing Canadians and our plan to meet that challenge. In the aftermath of the Second World War, an army of veterans, the greatest generation, returned home and laid the foundations of the most prosperous period in human history. Theirs was the era of Les Trente Glorieuses, three decades when our economies grew by 3%, year after year after year. That post-war era was, for Canada and for the non-geographic West, the apex of middle-class capitalism, of an economy that was growing from the middle out. The prosperity and opportunity of that era was certainly not shared equally, particularly if you were a woman or indigenous or a person of color or gay. But growth was strong. Wages were rising, income inequality was low, taxes were high, and the foundations of our modern welfare state were laid. Les Trente Glorieuses did not last. As the 20th century drew to a close, our middle-class engine of economic prosperity started to sputter. Growth slowed, unemployment rose, middle-class income stagnated, and inequality widened. The middle class was hollowed out and left behind, and our economies stopped delivering for working people. Western democracies are still grappling with that reality. The starkest response to this challenge has been on the populist right. They speak of American carnage and of Canada being broken. What follows from their diagnosis, of course, is a lot more muddled. A combination of regulation slashing, neocon tax cuts, and cruel austerity, 
mixed together with aggressive protectionism, if not outright isolationism. But what's our answer as progressives on the center-left? Our focus in Canada has been on reversing the great economic failure of recent decades, a failure that the Prime Minister identified when he launched his leadership campaign in 2012 with a commitment to fight for the middle class, and which I described in a book published that same year as the rise of the plutocrats and the fall of everyone else. After the election in 2015, we got to work by investing in Canadians and building up Canada, restoring the middle-class prosperity that had eroded and bringing together progressive and pragmatic economic policy with progressive and pragmatic climate policy. Our investments in public transit, in the Trans Mountain expansion, and in EV battery factories are not just one-off public expenditures. They truly are investments, decades-long investments in the economic growth which creates middle-class jobs and makes middle-class communities more prosperous. Une croissance forte a toujours été la pierre angulaire d'une économie pour la classe moyenne. Toutefois, la croissance à elle seule ne suffit pas. Il faut que la croissance soutienne la classe moyenne, en réduisant les inégalités, en augmentant les salaires et en veillant à ce que tout le monde puisse profiter pleinement de la prospérité de notre nation. Pas par chance ou pensée mar magique, mais parce qu'on s'est assuré que ça arrive. C'est pourquoi, en prenant appui sur une économie en croissance, nous avons grandement amélioré le filet de sécurité sociale du Canada. Que l'on parle de l'allocation canadienne pour enfants, ou de l'allocation canadienne pour les travailleurs, ou des soins dentaires. Parce que, quand les Canadiennes et les Canadiens ont le soutien dont ils en ont besoin pour s'épanouir, ils peuvent contribuer encore plus à l'économie. But at the beginning of our fifth full year in office, Canada was hit by a once-in-a-generation crisis, a global pandemic which threatened all of the progress we had delivered for middle-class Canadians since 2015. Now, thanks to the rectitude, the fiscal rectitude, of Liberal leaders before us, Canada had the firepower to act, and we did, massively. We focused relentlessly on jobs, 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 on keeping Canadians employed and their employers afloat. And it worked. Nearly a million more Canadians are employed today than were before the pandemic. Canada had the strongest economic growth in the G7 over the course of 2022, and both the IMF and the OECD predict we will see 
the strongest average growth in the G7 over this year and the next. But for Canadians who are worn out and frustrated, having been through a very great deal over these past three years, I know that a recounting of battles fought and won is tedious, if not outright repellent. What Canadians want and need and deserve is for us to address the very real pain so many are facing right now and to offer a hopeful and achievable vision for Canada's future. Staying united as a country as we get through the short-term challenges of today and lay the foundations for a brighter future will be harder than it needs to be because the populists of the hard right see opportunity in nihilism. They positively relish leaning into the gloom, don't they? Their everything-is-broken pitch can be seductive when people are tired, prices are high, and mortgage renewals are looming. But the hard right have no positive agenda or real plan of their own. Amidst a flurry of one-liners, it's no wonder that three of the Conservative leaders' only concrete proposals have been to eliminate the price on pollution and the thousands of dollars in rebates it provides to Canadian families, to invest in crypto as a hedge against inflation, and, I know, um, and to eviscerate the contributions which are the essential foundation of both employment insurance and the Canada Pension Plan. There is no substantive conservative plan for growth, no climate action. And by the way, don't believe that there is anything fiscally responsible about the hard right economic agenda. That's what we saw when Liz Truss put it into practice in the United Kingdom, and markets crashed and interest rates soared. You need look no further than the list of 11 AAA countries, of which the largest are Germany, Canada, Australia, the Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. What do those countries have in common? I think you can see from that list that fiscal responsibility is the true domain of progressives. Toutefois, si nous rejetons l'approche de la droite qui, comme nous le savons, a échoué, comment allons-nous renouveler la promesse du Canada pour une nouvelle génération? Tout d'abord, nous savons que les trois dernières années ont été Très difficile pour les Canadiens et les Canadiens. Nous avons traversé la pandémie du COVID-19, la récession causée par la COVID-19, l'invasion illégale de l'Ukraine par Poutine, les perturbations dans les chaînes d'approvisionnement, les feux de forêt et les ouragans. Nous avons traversé une vague d'inflation mondiale élevée 
et nous faisons maintenant face à des taux d'intérêt élevés. Le gouvernement fédéral fera tout en son pouvoir pour que le Canada puisse finir de passer à travers cette période difficile. En bâtir une économie avec des prix stables, une croissance forte et constante et des emplois abondants et bien rémunérés. En tant que ministre des Finances, c'est ma plus grande priorité. That's why, as the Prime Minister announced just on Thursday, our government expects our country's largest grocers to take a Team Canada approach and do their part to get prices down and keep them down. That's why supply-side solutions like early learning and childcare and the record women's labor force participation it is enabling here in Canada are so important right now. And that's why, in the face of global inflation, Canada's pace of fiscal consolidation over the past two years has been the fastest in the G7, and why we're proud to maintain both the lowest deficit and the lowest debt-to-GDP ratio among our G7 peers. We're serious about fiscal responsibility. That's why we're systematically following through on our commitment made in our spring budget to save $15 billion from the costs of operating government. Because we need that money to invest it directly in Canadians. Second, we are tackling our century's great challenge of building a clean economy. And we're doing so with zeal through our $120 billion, that's right, $120 billion clean economy jobs plan, a plan that is focused relentlessly on a new generation of middle-class careers and middle-class prosperity. Third, to succeed in the global clean economy, we are committed to building major projects and to building them fast. In 1903, Prime Minister Wilfrid Laurier said, in reference to the Transcontinental Railway, that, this is not a time for deliberation. This is a time for action. We cannot wait because time does not wait. We cannot wait because in these days of wonderful development, time lost is doubly lost. Those words apply so much to the situation that Canada finds itself in today. So, if a company is prepared to invest in Canada and Canadian workers, we must ensure that company is able to do so. And that's why, as we promised in our spring budget, we will announce by the end of this year a concrete plan to accelerate the timelines for major projects and thus to ensure that Canadian workers from coast to coast to coast can truly prosper from the remarkable clean economy opportunities ahead of us in the years to come. Fourth, we're delivering on a particularly Canadian pillar of our country's long-term prosperity. 
immigration. At a moment when an aging population is one of the greatest challenges facing the developed Western world, when our economies are all desperate for skilled workers, Canada's unique enthusiasm for welcoming new Canadians not only makes our communities more vibrant, it is also an international economic competitive advantage. And sorry to the non-Canadians who are here, this is part of Canada's secret sauce economically. But that brings me to the fifth pillar of our government's plan to renew the promise of Canada. If we believe in a growing economy and a growing population, and I sure do, we need to build homes at a speed and scale not seen in Canada since those golden days of the greatest generation. In the 1940s and 50s, a generation of Canadians settled in single-family homes along new tree-lined streets, raising families behind the white picket fences, which came to symbolize the dream of home ownership held by Canadians for the next 60-odd years. If you worked hard, if you went to school, found a good job, and squirreled some money away, we were told there'd be a home you could afford. For the greatest generation and for those they raised, that promise was kept by Canada. But today, for a generation that goes from new high school graduates to couples in their 30s making six-figure salaries, that promise is under threat. And so we must redouble our efforts and work together to secure that promise with Laurier's urgent sense that time lost is doubly lost. Canada is the product of great national efforts. We are meeting the housing challenge by lifting the GST on rental construction, as the Prime Minister announced two days ago. We're meeting the challenge with our new tax-free first home savings account, which tens of thousands of Canadians are already using to save up for that first down payment, tax-free. We're meeting the housing challenge with our $4 billion race to the top housing accelerator fund, which is already motivating cities and towns all across Canada to do what we need to do, which is build more homes faster. We are working hard, but we have more work to do. Building the homes a growing Canada needs will require another great national effort, and it is an effort the federal government is ready to lead. At the heart of the promise of Canada is the conviction that no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, where you were born, or who you love, Every single day represents a new opportunity. That if you work hard, you can share in the remarkable opportunities of our remarkable country with a good career that pays well and with a home you can afford. Building a Canada that delivers on the promise of the greatest country in the world for this next greatest generation will be our work as liberals for these next two years and beyond. 
Canada is not and never has been broken. We are the imperfect but remarkable creation of generations of Canadians who did their part to build a better country, calloused hand by calloused hand. Generations of Canadians who fought fear and cynicism with hope and hard work. Generations of Canadians who fought day after day to keep Canada moving forward. And generations of Canadians who believed, just as we do today, that better is always possible. Thank you very much. <laughs>